Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. You ever been reading a book and you get to a spot and wonder to yourself, just what the hell was the author thinking at that moment? Are you the type of super nerd that likes all the obscure facts you can absorb into your pop culture obsessed little mind? Are you just a little curious about the behind the scenes work that went into the Ruins of Empire saga? Well, it's for you and you alone that we've got the author's commentary on my author blog at www.sagaofinsanity.com. Along with this podcast, I'm adding some new thoughts on each chapter, dredging up some scraps from the cutting room floor, discussing how the characters evolve, and whatever else pops into my tiny little mind as I record. So that's www.sagaofinsanity.com, and you can also get regular updates on the Ruins of Empire Facebook page, at Ruins of Empire, or on Twitter at, well, conveniently enough, at Ruins of Empire. Go check them out if you're so inclined, and as always, thanks for listening. You are listening to Ruins of Empire, Templum Veneris, book two of the Ruins of Empire Project, a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author. Chapter 8 The midnight assault on a prison in the deserts of the southern United States left only a few personnel dead or wounded and the image of Diana Adriana waving the Brazilian flag over prisoners cheering in the yard as a helicopter landed nearby became the symbol of her own force of will and the movement that would lead to the global revolution. From the Fall, The Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Raff The Arenha Isra Vega Nalthea crested a hill that dropped down to an oval-shaped amphitheater cut into the hard, burnt orange rock of the mountain. The seats, just stone carved into a staircase pattern, were already filling with people. About three-quarters were women, but there were a few older men as well. All wore red cloaks over their white dresses and belted tunics. The seating area circled half of the sand-covered arena. A flimsy wooden railing surrounded the rest. After that, there was nothing but a cliff. The whole amphitheater perched on the side of the mountain, overlooking the gleaming white city, several hundred meters below. As they approached, they found the emissary waiting for them near a row of seats positioned in the center, about halfway up the stands, where she invited them to sit. Isra sat first, followed by Althea, then Vega. Celia continued to stand to their left, and Isabel stood in front of them. Once they were all seated, the Arain Ha began her presentation. My friends from Earth, you must know this about Cytheria. The power does not come from mines or fields, it is not in orchards or maiden workshops. There was a sound that cut through Vago's lingering triple T withdrawal and struck something deep and primal inside him. It was the footsteps of maybe fifty or sixty people with the precise staccato rhythm of a military march. Isabel continued as the sound got louder. The military is a strength of Cytheria. As if on cue, a formation of soldiers poured onto the floor of the amphitheater, marching in lines of four. Their breastplates gleamed in the sun. They carried swords on their belt and a spear in hand and walked in perfect lockstep with not one detail out of place. No helmet was missing, no belt slightly askew. Even the way they wore their cloaks, slung over their left shoulder, was identical to the last man. They marched onto the floor, came to a halt, and turned to attention in perfect unison. Isabel addressed the group again. One is not born Cytherian. A Cytherian is made like steel and sharpened like a sword. Cytherian soldiers will be made today. You will watch. 
More synchronized footsteps. Another formation appeared at the side of the theater and marched in. They wore the same white tunics and belts, but no cloak and no weapons. Vega also noted with some dismay that not one looked over the age of fifteen. This is Provocayo, Isabel said, with more than a touch of pride. The young will show their training today. If they can defend Cytheria, they will wear the red. They will join the citizens. And if they don't, Althea asked, with a touch of concern. If Isabel heard her, she didn't care or acknowledge the question. She merely sat down to the left of the rest of the group, with her emissary beside her. The children lined up and stood at attention. One of the older soldiers, with an impressive red crest on his helmet, stepped front and center. He removed his helmet, and Vago grumbled as he recognized the captain of the guard, Gabriel, the same guy who had been harassing him as they marched into the city. Gabriel locked eyes with Isabel and made a sharp gesture where he extended his right arm straight to the side at about a 45-degree angle, then swung it back until the side of his hand touched his heart with the palm down. Isabel stood and repeated the gesture. When she did, Gabriel stood at attention and announced in Cytherian, Arena Isabel, these children of Cytheria have proven themselves worthy to undergo provocayo. They wish to don the red on this day. Isabel lowered her hand and announced back in a voice loud enough to echo through the amphitheater. You have my permission. Those that be citizens of Cytheria rest here among your people and bear witness. The soldiers who wore the red cloaks marched forward, mounted their spears, shields, and swords on wooden racks that stood along the side of the arena. They went back into formation and repeated the same salute as Gabriel and stood there with their hands hovering over the space above their heart. Only when Isabel repeated the salute again did the soldiers break ranks and walk up the stairs to sit in the stands. That left the group of young boys and girls in loose tunics standing at attention in the center. If any of them were afraid, they didn't show it. They looked up at the audience with pride and expectation. Gabriel turned to the small group of young soldiers and yelled, Graciado! Cristavo! You are first! Two boys stepped forward while others lined up along the back of the arena where only a short rail separated them from a drop off the side of the mountain. What's happening? Althea had a kind of desperation in her voice. What are they doing? Maybe Althea couldn't understand Cytherian, but there was no mistaking the way the two boys looked at each other with a kind of silent intensity, like a bomb armed and ready, pure explosive energy that only needed the right trigger. It was no wonder why every man Vega had met so far looked like a bodybuilder, and no wonder why the Arenha was able to ascend the mountain with ease. Only the strongest survived in this society. I think they mean to fight, Althea, said Vago, shifting in his seat. The ceremony continued in the center of the amphitheater. Gabriel marched around the two boys so he could speak to them and still address the crowd. Do you both swear to protect Cytheria? Sim! Both boys yelled back in unison. Will you make it security, your purpose in life? Sim! Are you willing to fight for Cytheria? This time the boy's answer filled the amphitheater and echoed off the mountain peaks. Sim! And that was it. Gabriel stepped away as one of the boys, slightly taller, with darker brown hair, made the first move and threw a few jabs. The other, a boy with a broader, stockier stance, waited until his opponent dropped his hands and then threw a punch that made the taller boy stagger backward. We can't sit here and watch this. We've, we've got to stop this. Althea started to get up, and Vago could only guess what she intended to do. They were in a nest of vicious killers, as far as Vago understood it, and no amount of reasoned argument was going to do anything, besides incite the kind of diplomatic incident that might end with the four of them hanging from a tree. "'Please sit down, Althea,' said Isra. Her voice and face contained no emotion whatsoever. Althea plopped back down, 
but leaned over Vago to hiss, It's barbaric! Isra didn't respond, but just watched the spectacle stone-faced. Vago had seen more emotion in a high-stakes gambling hall. Is something wrong? asked Isabel, sitting between Isra and Celia. Nothing at all, said Isra. Just then, Vago sensed someone sitting down next to him and glanced over to see Gabriel's smug, smiling face. I am happy you could come, said Gabriel and Cytherian. This moment is very important for the future of Cytheria. Thank you for inviting us, said Isra, in her best diplomatic tone. Yeah, nothing like watching a couple of kids pound the BS out of each other in the name of civic duty, said Vago. The words, even as he spoke them, were for Althea's benefit. To be honest, when he realized what was about to happen, he got a surge of excitement. What is the problem, Earthman? Does combat make you ill? Make you uncomfortable? said Gabriel. The tone of his voice was a verbal equivalent of prodding him with a stick. Vago ignored him and focused on the fight. It was getting interesting. Both boys had traded several blows, as evidenced by the blood dripping from their noses and lips. Now they circled each other to steal a few precious moments to rest and look for an opening. The crowd started to react. Every time one of the boys surged forward and landed a punch, the audience cheered. They didn't seem to have a favorite, they just applauded the act of violence itself. Vago leaned forward. The tension grew as the two boys circled each other in the ring, and he had to resist the urge to cheer with the crowd the next time one of them landed a punch or a kick. The winner becomes a citizen of Cytheria. He will feast in the Salah with the greatest of Cytherian warriors. He will receive the best the city has to offer. He will get to see the honor and glory of battle, continued Gabriel. The shorter, stockier kid landed an uppercut. The other kid staggered backward in a spray of blood and sweat. The loser gets nothing, Gabriel continued. He works in the fields or the mines. He wears brown robes and lives without a name. A colto. The fight was pure mayhem now. A wild storm of punches and kicks that came at such speed and intensity that it seemed that neither boy would make it out in one piece. It reminded Vega of military life on Mars. He remembered the white-hot heat of battle, the euphoric thrill of victory, and other feelings long since buried at the request of a more civilized society. It's disgusting, said Althea looking away. The crowd cheered. The smaller boy jumped up, wrapped his arms around the back of his opponent's neck, and pulled him forward. There was the wet, sticky sound of bone against flesh as the short, stocky fighter kneed his taller opponent in the face. Then he did it again, and continued until the area was silent except for the sickening sound of someone's face being smashed in. Then the boy let go and let his opponent crumple to the ground. "'Are you enjoying this?' Althea hissed, a touch of rising anger in her voice. Vago shook his head quickly. Of course not. The winner turned to face the crowd with a large blood stain down the front of his white tunic. He raised his arms, bellowed a victory cheer, and the audience joined in. Gabriel clapped his hands, got up, and descended to the floor of the arena. He picked up a large red cloak from a folded pile at the bottom of the stands and approached the boy. You've done well, Cristavo. You wear the red now. Join your fellow citizens. The boy wrapped the cloak around himself and ran into the crowd, greeted by handshakes and cheers from the older soldiers, while two others carried what was left of the other boy out of the arena. Gabriel called the next two. Alania! Atonia! Girls, Althea said, rising out of her seat again. Gabriel returned to his seat with the same smug, infuriating smile. He glanced sideways at Vago and prodded again. Are your females weak on Earth? On Venus they must be strong, equal to a man. They must protect the city if called upon and they must produce strong children to defend Cytheria. Althea looked back and forth between Gabriel and the center of the amphitheater. What did he say? 
Vago found himself with a sudden visceral urge to lift Gabriel off his seat, throw him halfway down the stone steps, and kick him the rest of the way down. It ain't nice to speak in a language not everyone understands. Gabriel wasn't wrong. This fight was slower, more precise, but no less intense. The boys were like two dogs in a pit, ripping at each other's throats until one bleeds out. The girls, on the other hand, were like two snakes in a cage, deliberate and methodical. They waited for the perfect moment to strike, to put the other down, which happened when one of the girls took advantage of her opponent's unsteady footing, knocked her to the ground with a front kick, and trapped her throat under her knee until she passed out. The audience cheered. Again, Vega had to resist the urge to cheer with them. Another citizen walked away with her red cloak into the cheering embrace of older soldiers who crowded around to congratulate her. Vago couldn't help but smile as he remembered the camaraderie of military life. It was a simple but intense bond that could only be understood by those who had spilled blood in defense of their way of life. Oh, Jesus, Vago, said Althea. You are enjoying this. He glanced at Althea, who was staring at him with a look of shocked disapproval, and then to Gabriel, who flashed him a knowing smile. The area between them started to feel small, and Vago had the urge to flee before the walls closed in. He bared his teeth at Gabriel and hissed, Give us a moment. Gabriel stood up, bowed his head slightly, and said to the Ravain Ha on the opposite side of the group, With your permission. Isabel turned her attention away from the carnage in the center of the amphitheater just long enough to give Gabriel the slightest of nods. One might have missed it if one were not looking for it. Gabriel interpreted that as the permission he wanted and started to make his way down the steps toward the center. Vago took a deep breath. Althea, I... You don't have to say anything, she said, facing forward. It just proves my point, really. What point? That you only want to use me, just as I tried to use you. There's nothing else between us. Vago took off his hat and ran his hand across the top of his head, down the length of his queue. You gotta understand, on Mars... We are literally from two different worlds, Althea said, still staring at some middle distance and we only come together when we are at our worst. It don't gotta be like that. Althea closed her eyes and whispered, but it is. Vago was about to say something else when Gabriel called from the sand pit below. I challenge you, Vago. Come, experience Provokyle for yourself. Gabriel stood in the center of the fighting arena with his arms outstretched, as if welcoming him with a warm embrace. A flood of adrenaline made Vago's body tingle as he stood up, but he stopped when Althea grabbed him by the forearm. Even though Gabriel spoke in Cytherian, she seemed to realize it was a challenge. She glared at him with deadly seriousness. If you do this... His eyes met Althea's, emerald genetically modified eyes, perfectly designed by the height of civilized technology to be both beautiful and captivating. And then there was Gabriel, beckoning him from the floor of the arena. He beat his breastplate with his fists and waved his arms like a competing male during mating season. On top of all that, Colton's voice echoed in his head. You gotta find what makes you happy. You've got to think back to a time when you could do as you pleased. What, Althea? Vago growled. If I do what? You're better than that. You can be better, Althea whispered in his ear. The Arenaha rose to address the crowd. Our friends from Earth do not share our military values. Therefore, Gabriel, please excuse... Maybe, Vago whispered back. But without you, why would I want to? Then he jumped up, snatched his arm from Althea's grip, and shouted in Cytherian, I accept! In a way, there was a kind of inevitability to this, thought Vago, taking off his hat. The universe had closed every avenue left to him but this one. If savage he was meant to be, then, well, there wasn't much use arguing. Vago handed his hat to Althea, who stared at him dumbstruck. 
You're right, Althea. You always are. I gotta find my own reason to change. He started to take off his jacket. Fago, are you sure you know what you're doing? Isra's hard look suggested that she didn't believe that he did. Sure. Little old-fashioned diplomacy. Fago, listen carefully, Althea hissed through her teeth. Just let it go. Stop trying to prove you are what everyone around you wants you to be, and no, I certainly will not hold those for you. He shrugged and tossed his shoulder holster on top of his khaki jacket. That, Althea, is exactly why I'm doing this. I've wanted to kick this guy's little jig since I arrived. It's rude to refuse an invitation like that. Don't want to be rude. Vega continued to strip down until he had nothing on but his pants, Althea's medical regulator strapped across his chest, and the Eros computer on his arm. He undid a catch that loosened the computer enough to slide over his wrist. He started to reach for the buttons that would retract his medical regulator when Easter came up behind him. Allow me. Vago stopped and let Easter work the controls. I do not like this, she said as the plate started to retract across his chest. The Arenha condones this. It was as if the spectacle was planned. Vago looked one more time at Althea, glaring at him from the bench. Well, I'd hate to disappoint. Easter lifted the medical regulator off his shoulder. Just be aware. Isabel, Gabriel, Celia, they have a plan. I do not know what they intend to gain from it, but it is carefully orchestrated. Vago stretched his arms. Well, why don't I go find out? He stepped down the steps into the dirt floor of the arena where Gabriel was already in the center, on the balls of his feet, with both fists raised. He'd taken off all of his clothes except for a pair of white shorts. His body looked like one big, bulging muscle. Vago reached down to scoop a handful of the earth and rubbed his hands together. The rush of excitement before battle, combined with the roar of the crowd as he prepared himself, made him feel as alive as that evening when Althea came back. He glanced at the stands and noted that Althea's seat was empty. She was gone again. Then Isra shouted from a hundred miles away, Vago, watch out! He turned back just in time to see Gabriel rush at him. He never saw the punch that connected just above his jaw. He stumbled backward and instinctively brought his arms up to protect himself from the next blow. The punch disoriented him. He didn't know where Gabriel was until he appeared in front of him and landed a series of punches to his stomach that felt like an iron bar across the gut. Vago brought his hands down. It was a stupid move made in the heat of the moment, and he knew it. It allowed Gabriel to land a crushing blow to the side of his face. The next thing Vago knew, he was laying in the ground with a mouthful of dirt. For a moment, the only sound in the world was the ringing in his ears and the soldiers cheering. Everything, even the throbbing pain in his cheek, felt surprisingly good. Natural, even. He heard Isra's voice by his face. I hope you proved your point. How long had he been down? Clearly long enough for Isra to make her way out of the stands. He lifted his head to see Gabriel playing to the crowd with his arms outstretched, enjoying the quick victory. He's a fast little kid, Sue. I'll give him that, Vago muttered as he pushed himself up. You intend to continue, said Isra, backing away. Vago got to his feet and ignored her. Gabriel noticed Vago get up and fell back into his fighting stance. You want more, Earthman? It was a rotten hit, Vago called back, putting his fists up. Try it again, you! Vago estimated there was a good ten meters or more separating the two of them. It shouldn't be possible for him to cover that much ground in an instant. That was a thought that flashed across his brain as his head snapped back from Gabriel's jab. Vago stepped back to put some space between him and this insanely fast brawler. He needed just a moment to collect himself. It was a moment he wouldn't get. Before he could even pinpoint where Gabriel was, he felt several hard blows to his left kidney, followed by a right cross under his chin, then another mouthful of dirt, with a hint of blood this time. Somewhere in the distance, he heard Isra yell, Finished now! Vigo pulled himself up one more time and stumbled forward. 
I've got this, Isra, he mumbled. I know how he fights now. Isra probably didn't hear him, which was fine. It was getting harder to form coherent sounds anyway. He staggered into the center of the circle where Gabriel jumped and danced circles around him while taunting him. Your courage is inspiring. Your skills are not. You should give up before you are hurt. Gabriel was faster than any man Vago had fought in his life, stronger too, and the arena was a blur of bodies and sound. Yet, at the same time, he had a clarity of mind he had not felt in months. The whole world right now consisted of himself and his opponent, and the only sound in the world was the cheer of the crowd. Vago had one last chance to make a decent stand. Very well, Earthman. One more time, said Gabriel. Though the captain of the guard was unbelievably athletic, Vago hoped that, like most people, he was also a creature of habit. Up to this point, Gabriel always led with a long jab. The instant Gabriel moved, so did Vago. He blocked Gabriel's jab and countered with a punch to the captain's sternum. Gabriel staggered backward, gasping, sucking air, and Vago pressed to the advantage. He felt every ounce of energy surging into his fist with every punch. Two left jabs, a right cross, and the captain of the guard careened back to the edge of the circle. Vago lunged with a left jab, then stepped forward to deliver a fight-ending right uppercut. But instead of the satisfying crack of Gabriel's jaw against his fist and a flash of pain and victory, he hit nothing but air. He barely had time to realize this before his legs were kicked out from under him and he fell hard into the sand. Vago rolled over to get back onto his feet, but Gabriel was instantly on top of him. He grabbed his long black braid and used it to lift Vago's head. You have long hair, like a woman, Gabriel whispered in Vago's ear, then slammed Vago's head into the ground. Vago blacked out for a split second. He tasted blood, his head rang, and his vision blurred. Gabriel pulled him back up by his hair. This time, Vago twisted it through an elbow. It connected under Gabriel's jaw and sent him sprawling in the dirt. Vago scrambled to his feet and pressed his boot to Gabriel's chest before he could stand again. He didn't know where it came from, but something in his head clicked. Maybe the fight had sharpened his mind to the point where he could finally piece Cytherian words together. Maybe he'd simply had time for his brain to process the neural programming. Hell, maybe Gabriel knocked something loose. But Vago held his opponent down and said, I hear Cytherian women are strong. Gabriel paused, stared up at Vega with a burning hatred, and, as if something flicked a switch, his expression softened and a smile crossed his face. Perhaps you will fight one of them next. Your victory will not be so easy. Vega couldn't help but laugh, as did Gabriel. Vega lifted his boot off the man's chest and reached down to help him to his feet. I will consider it. I like a woman who can kick my ass. Gabriel clasped him on the shoulder, grinning. I will introduce you to a few. Come sit with me. Enjoy Provocayo as my guest. Tonight, you and your people feast in the Salah. As Vago and Gabriel staggered out of the sandy arena, still laughing, Isra met him on the side, handing him his khaki jacket. You are friends now, she asked, with a hint of skepticism in her voice. Vago laughed and looked at Gabriel. Sometimes, Isra, you can't see eye to eye until you bring him down a bit. It would appear that you have some skill in this style of diplomacy. Isabel invited us to a celebration tonight after the Provocayo. We will discuss the mutual benefits of an alliance between Earth and Cytheria tomorrow. Vago spat and wiped some blood away from his face. Glad to help. He looked around for a moment. Where's Althea? Waiting by the Arenha's transport. She said, and I am quoting here, Bugger this, I am done watching him make a fool of himself. The twinge of remorse only lasted a second, as more soldiers came down from the stands to congratulate Vago and Gabriel on their fight.
You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire. Templum Veneris, the second book of the Ruins of Empire project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Predator by Purple Planet at purpleplanet.com. Licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license. City of Geeks. Independent new media. Produced in Idaho.